Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 265 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michael Anthony. Michael is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, and coach with one hell of a story. Saying that Michael has overcome adversity in his life would be an enormous understatement. After an incredibly rough childhood and hitting rock bottom twice, he's truly turned his life around and now helps many others around the world begin the process of healing and the journey to their unbroken selves. In this episode, you can expect to learn how you can escape the trap of mediocrity, how you can develop the resilience to keep on going on that journey towards your best self, along with Michael's advice on having healthy relationships with both men and women, despite having challenging relationships with them whilst growing up. Strap yourself in for this one. So without further ado, Michael Anthony. Michael Anthony, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very well, my friend. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is truly mine, and I'm very, very excited for today's episode. Like I just mentioned to you off there, I've been doing a deep dive into your story, so I'm excited for everyone who may have not come across to you before to go into that and also take the wisdom from you who maybe have touched on your story. But for those who haven't, would you mind giving us a bit of a background on your story, what takes you to where you are today, and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I'll, I'll reverse engineer that. Um, so I work with adult survivors of childhood trauma, help them learn to love themselves, get unstuck, get out of the vortex and ultimately do the hardest thing that we do. And that's be the hero of our own story. And that is something that is predicated on my own journey. When I was four years old, my mother, who was a drug addict and alcoholic, um, she actually cut off my right index finger. And so that kind of gives you context immediately, right? And and people be like, well, how could your mom do that? And I'm like, well, hurt people, hurt people and healed people, heal people. And when I was six, she married my stepfather who was super abusive. I mean, dude, he'd kick the shit out of my brothers and I slammed my head into walls, put me in the hospital. Like the beatings weren't just physical, they were mental and emotional. And I spent the majority of my childhood, like, dude, I would sit in the classroom at school and I would just stare at the clock and beg it to slow down because the most terrifying moment of my day was having to go home. And from eight to 12 years old, you know, we were deeply in poverty. I mean, massively, we were getting food stamps and church donations, and we were often having our power turned off, our electricity, our water, and we were homeless all the time, getting evicted, bounced place to place. My brothers and I, we lived with like 30 different families over four years, just getting tossed place to place to place. And when I was 12 years old, I ended up living literally by myself in an abandoned house for like six weeks, going and stealing food from this Big Lots, which was like a little store on the corner of 30th and Georgetown in Indianapolis. And then my grandmother had found out somehow. She came and took me, adopted me. And, you know, you'd think that'd be a godsend, right? And in some extent it was, but I'm biracial, black and white. And my grandma's an old racist white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of. And so, you know, it's like insert identity crisis. And at 12 years old, I got high for the first time, started popping pills, taking drugs. By 13, I was getting drunk. And at 15, I was expelled from school for selling drugs. And look, man, I was just trying to figure out life. 
I was like trying to navigate it, make it work. And I'm like breaking into houses, stealing cars, running from the cops, running with guns, getting shot at. Like it's crazy. It's like some movie shit. And I get called to school one day and they're like, the dean wants to talk to you. And I don't, I'll never understand how this happened. And I have no idea who nominated me, but I was accepted and they put me into a last chance program, which basically meant I'd get some opportunity to still graduate high school and learn some stuff. Well, at that time, I put a restraining order on my mother. And you can literally see it on my report card. I went from straight F's to straight A's. No bullshit. And and that's kind of the thing that you see so often when you have this toxicity in the home. Children can't concentrate, man. I'm focused on living, not fucking math. And so my mom's in rehab. She's getting popped back and forth. She actually gets sober, which was incredible. And my grandmother let her move back into our house. I understand what happened now. I did not want to understand what happened then. Within a month, my mom was back to drinking a gallon of vodka a day popping pills, drunk driving, and just being a psychopath. And I realized, well, of course that would happen. She's being triggered because she's in the home with the person who abused her. And you, again, on this report card, you can see it straight A's, straight F's like that. And in that time, my girlfriend called me. I was at home stoned <laughs> playing video games. And she's like, you're not graduating. And I was like, fuck that's dude. I cannot explain to you how embarrassed I was how much shame and guilt I had over that. And so I did what any normal kid would do. I got in my car to go berate the teacher who failed me. And <laughs> and I, I get to school, Mr. Bush's class, second floor, corner of the building. I go up to him and I'm like, dude, how dare you fail me? And he looks at me, he goes, I did not fail you. You failed yourself. And then he told me the most important thing anyone has ever told me. He said, you want something in life, you have to earn it. You can't get by in your charm and your good looks. And that was like a baseball bat to the face, man, because I had to go to summer school. All of my friends stopped talking to me. I got uninvited to every party. And, you know, that's a rite of passage. Like, that's a big deal. And and it was it was taken from me because of my own decisions. So I end up in summer school and the teacher comes up to me like two weeks in. He's like, we're just going to give you the diploma. We're done with you. I was like, what? I just suffered all of this. And now you're going to give me the thing that I didn't earn anyway. And so I go get this job, man. I'm working a warehouse. I'm putting microchips into motherboards for 12 hours a day, just watching the desperation in people's eyes. Just this is where dreams go to die, man. You can just see it. And uh, one of the greatest things happened is I got fired and I'm sitting in my car and I'm thinking about, I'm like, okay, hold on a second. What is actually happening right now? What is the solution for poverty, for homelessness, for abuse, for all the stuff I'm dealing with? And I was like, oh, it's money. It's got to be like, what else would it possibly be if it's not money? And I made a decision that day. I said, by the time I'm 21, I want to make $100,000 a year legally. And that part was super important because I have family in prison for life. I've been in handcuffs more times than I can count. And as of today, my three best friends been murdered. Dude, I, I knew the direction I was going. And so I, I just, I started learning skills and I landed a job and leadership of a fast food restaurant at 18 and a half. I had 52 people under me. And by the time that I was 20 heading into 21, I landed a job with a fortune 10 company, no high school diploma, no college education. I started making six figures. Well, kind of. So I actually pulled up my W2 the other day so I could verify that I'm not making this up. I made $96,000 when I was 20 years old. And I realized something really crazy at that time that I could really create the life I wanted to have, but I wasn't focused on the right things. And so you fast forward to heading into 26, I'm 350 pounds. I'm smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep. I got an $85,000 car. I'm wearing all these fancy clothes, all these fancy dinners, but I hate myself and I hate my life and I hate everything that's happening because I was just so distraught and downtrodden from all the experiences. Like I was trying to make these material things make me feel good. And it'd be like, dude, go get a new shirt. But every time I get a new shirt, it'd be like 2XL, 3XL, 4XL, size 47 pants. Dude, it was fucking crazy. And after the worst night of my life, I'm laying in bed. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. 
you got to keep in mind, man, I'm 350 fucking pounds. I'm eating chocolate cake and watching the CrossFit games. Like, <laughs> dude, if that's not rock bottom, I literally, I don't know what it is. Seriously, I don't know what it is. And for whatever reason, I got up and I went to the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I remember being eight years old and the water company had come and turned off our water. And I went to the backyard. I took this little blue bucket. I walked across the street to our neighbor's house. And for the first time I stole water. And I was like, when I'm a grown up, this will not be my life. And it wasn't in a lot of aspects, but it was because I was that hurt, lost little boy. And as I looked in the mirror and I realized that I'd been breaking a promise to myself that I'd made 20 years ago, right? I asked myself a question that changed my life forever. So what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? The answer was no excuses, just results. And what that meant for me was no more being the victim, no more blaming other people, no more negotiating with myself. And 12 years later, here I am talking to you. Damn, that's one hell of a story. And there's kind of a couple of pivotal moments in that. And both of those came from self-reflection. So I'm curious to see where those insights came to you. It was two really key moments there. The one where you said, I'm going to make $100,000 before I'm 21 or by the age I'm 21. And then what do I need to do to create the life I want? So where do you feel you got those insights from? Because it's magic that you got them, A, and then it's even further, even further more magical the fact you acted on them. Yeah. You know, initially when I was young, I always felt like I was supposed to do something amazing, right? I I always wanted to be a rock star. Like that was my dream. I was like, I want to be Jay-Z or the Foo Fighters. Like that's all I ever wanted. And because of just the circumstances of life, never having anyone to cheer me on, not believing in myself. I never really was able to step into anything with commitment. What you have to think about, these two experiences have something in common. They were rock bottom moments, like getting fired from a job that's impossible to get fired from after not graduating high school, losing all my friends and becoming the biggest embarrassment of anyone that I knew. That was fucking rock bottom, dude. Like it was miserable. And the decision around the hundred thousand was because that felt attainable to me. I, I wish I would have said a fucking million because I would have what I would have done it, right? But uh, but a hundred thousand made sense. And so that's what I moved towards. The second time it was the same thing. I mean, that was massive, massive rock bottom. My brother had told me, one of my brothers said, never talk to me again. My my friends did not support me in any positive way. Like we only partied and got drunk and shit. And as I looked at my life, you know, I, I realized like it was my own doing. Right. I had put myself in this arena and it was that rock bottom moment again that had led me to make the decision. The acting on it, like out of all truth, was desperation because I didn't know what else to do. And I think that is a thing that happens to people quite frequently where we're like, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to do anything that it takes. And that is what happened. And, you know, I've interviewed some of the greatest minds on planet Earth. I've been interviewed by some of the greatest minds on planet Earth, yourself included. And I sit here and I think to myself, what do all these people who have created massive change have in common? Well, whether or not you like to admit it, it's a rock bottom moment. It's a fucking come into Jesus moment. It's this moment in which you finally for whatever reason, decide to hold yourself accountable. And and that's what it was for me in both those circumstances. Absolutely. And it's incredible to see the amazing minds that have come out the other side of rock bottom, but the alternative to that tends to be the opposite. It tends to be further abuse. It tends to be rehab. It might even be someone's own death, which is tragic to think. So why do you feel that you were able to get yourself out of there versus the many people who don't? Dude, honestly, I, people, that's a great question. And it, I, I thought about this a lot because I get asked this question all the time. And it's because I'm fucking stubborn. Like, seriously, like my, my greatest character trait and my greatest character flaw is that I'm stubborn. And I know that about myself. And, you know, ultimately the key to all this is know thyself. And it was being stubborn that helped me survive as a kid. Like, I'm, I'm incredibly resilient. I have found ways to survive in in circumstances that destroy most people. And maybe it's just luck. I don't know. Maybe it's because 
you know, I've been positioned to be this person. You know, you, you look at all these experiences that I've had and I often get compared to a guy like Goggins, right? And it's like, I get that, but at the same time, he and I and everyone else that I can think of, we all have that thing in common where it was just a relentless determination for us to do what the fuck we knew we were supposed to do. And it's a mind trick that you have to play on yourself. Like that's the thing I think people really get confused about because they're like, well, if I just go to the gym once, that'll start creating momentum. And I'm like, eh, not really. What'll start creating momentum in your life is decision making and choosing to put yourself first and doing what you need to do and challenging the narrative of who it is that you think you are. And where people often get lost in this really lost is they think that it's just like a 180, but it's not like 26 to 29, 30 years old for me were arguably the hardest years of my life. Even though I'd had that rock bottom moment, I had made that declaration. I had decided to move forward in my life. Those were the hardest years because it was like, you're relearning how to be you. And so it'd be like one step forward and a million fucking steps backwards, man. It's like I would do something really good and then I'd go fuck it up. And I would do that again and again and again until it started to solidify, until I started changing what we call limiting beliefs. I didn't have the word for that. I used to just call myself stupid all the time. And so I just shifted how I was talking to myself because it just made sense. And as I got deeper into personal development, as I got deeper into research, getting trauma-informed certifications, I've really started to understand uh, the plasticity and the malleability of the brain. And so one of the things I recognized that changed everything for me was that childhood trauma and abuse, it's not like the pain of it that we carry, right? Like it's not this finger that was cut off that I've had six surgeries on. It's not the scars. It's not the burns on my body. It's not those things that were really what I carried. And again, this is my opinion. It was the theft of identity, man. It was the theft of identity because what happens is when you're a kid and you're in your developmental years and just in general, your brain serves a singular purpose, survival. That's it. It's the only thing your brain cares. It doesn't care about your dreams. It doesn't care about your clothes. It doesn't care about fucking anything about making sure you stay alive. And so as your brain is making meaning of the experiences of, of your life, of your environment, of the stimulus that you're involved in, what starts to happen is it starts to categorize these experiences. And it says, is this safe or is this not safe? And if it's safe, you keep moving towards it, right? If it's not safe, well, guess what? We need to not do that so we survive. Well, what happens when the not safe is being you. What happens when the not safe is having an opinion, speaking your truth, for some of us even just being in the fucking room, right? You you learn through those experiences and the brain is adaptive. And it says to myself, okay, great. So being me is super dangerous. It's going to get me fucked up. So I'm not going to be me. And the worst part about that is that actually serves you for a period of time. And so when you're 8, 12, 18 years old, it actually keeps you safe. Like, think about that, man. That's fucking crazy. Not being you is the exact thing that keeps you safe. And then you're 22, 37, 58 years old. You have no idea who you are. And you don't know how to say yes. And you don't know how to say no. And you are a chameleon. And you placate. And you bend yourself to everyone else until you realize the truth. When you bend the world to you, you're in control. So how do we start doing that if we haven't had a sense of our real identity for decades, potentially? Yeah, that's the fucking hard part, man. That's the million dollar question, right? And the truth about it is, and I know this is super cliche, but one step at a time, because you have to understand something in this context. When you're a child and you're growing up, and let's assume if you're lucky enough to have grown up in a home that is safe and compassionate and loving, where you have the space to falter and and not get thrown through a table, then you actually get to learn in real time who you are with positive reinforcement. Well, as a child, you learn through negative reinforcement when you grow up in a traumatic household. And so what actually starts to happen is every single time you make a mistake, you get destroyed physically, mentally, or emotionally by the very people who are supposed to take care of you. And so as an adult, what happens, you destroy yourself. You do the same exact thing that they did to you. Think about that for a second. 
right? And so when you actually make meaning of that, because of the people you date, the food you eat, the way that you show up in the world, the physical interactions you have with yourself, right? And for some people, it's cutting. Or me, it was smoking two packs of fucking cigarettes a day, right? That is self-harm. Well, why are you doing that to yourself? Mm, I wonder why. Because that's what they did to you. And you're negatively reinforcing these experiences. And for some people, it's the bathroom scale. When they weigh themselves every day and they destroy themselves over six ounces. And what happens is in this process of growing and creating your identity and stepping into who you are, this process is iterative. And what that means is that every single day as you're stepping into figuring out who you are, it starts just by simply acknowledging that you're going to try to do the thing that you believe that you need to do to change your life. That's it. You try first. You don't fucking sit on your bed and think about it all night. Now, sitting on your bed and thinking about it can lead to the place where you know what the thing is, but the actual shift actually comes in action. And so what you have to do is when that thing comes to top of mind and you're like, okay, I need to leave the relationship that's abusive. I need to quit the job where I'm undervalued. I need to quit smoking, quit drinking. I need to go to the gym. I need to stop eating chocolate cake for fucking breakfast six days a week. You have to then take action. And in that action taking, what's incredibly important that is not talked about enough, especially not in mental health and not in personal development, is when you are taking that action, you need to find an incredible amount of grace for yourself because you've never done this before. That's the thing people forget. They're like... They want to have everything be different all of a sudden. And it's like, well, what you've done has got you to where you are. And to get to where you want to go, you're going to have to do things that you've never tapped into before. And when you tap into things you've never tapped into before, guess what? You're going to fail a lot, like a lot, a lot, right? And so that 26 to 30 years old for me, that was a consummate failure every single day, all the time. And allowing myself to like live in it not ruminate in it, right? Not let it like compound, but just live in it and make meaning of it and ask myself, why did I do that? What value did it bring me? How is that impacting my life? And then the next day to just rinse and repeat until what happens is because of the ability to change the way that your synapses fire in your brain and to change the structure of the way that you actually exist in the world on a long enough timeline, it starts to hold true that you become that person that you believe you're capable of being. But the only way that you do that is by actually taking action towards that thing that you believe is what is going to make your life different. And I'm curious based on that, how much trauma healing had you done when you reached that point of 26? Because I understand this aspect of tapping into our new identity, but will we be fighting a losing battle if we don't revisit the things that put us in that place almost in the first place? Of course, in a way, we've put ourselves in that place and we've continued to reinforce the messages that we got when we were potentially a lot younger. But I can only see us running into those roadblocks and then berating ourselves and being back at square one and not really having that that resilience and stubbornness that you had to keep on going. So is there a certain amount of healing that needs to be done first or can we just tap into taking action immediately? Yeah, no, I mean, well, it's both, right? I mean, ultimately they're a parallel tract. I went to therapy for the first time at seven years old because I got molested and that was a part of my journey very young. And one of the things that happened is I learned to not tell the truth to people because the therapist actually told my parents all the things that I was saying, all of them. And sometimes I would say things to my therapist and I would go home and then my parents would kick the shit out of me. And so I learned to not tell the truth. When I was in my 20s, I kept going to therapy. I'd actually never really stopped. Sometimes it was like court ordered because of attitude or, or anger issues or whatever it was. Sometimes it was because having to go to support my mom and her rehab, like there was always therapy in this, but I always just lied. And so I'm in my twenties and therapy felt like the cool thing to do. (laughs) This is so stupid. And I would go and I'd pay this guy hundreds of dollars a week and I would just sit there and lie. And then when I hit that rock bottom moment, It was like, wait a second, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I made a decision, two things. One, I had to get a new therapist, actually, because that guy wasn't helping me at all, because any good therapist would have known I was fucking lying to him the whole time. It's not that hard to figure out. And so I had to get a new therapist, and I made a decision to take it seriously, to be honest, 
to tell the truth. And in that, that's where that parallel started because, and I'd also factor in physical movement. So it was kind of like the mental, physical, emotional triangle, if you will, of doing these things all the time. And it stepped and started turning into you know yoga and meditation and journaling and therapy and not smoking, all those. Like it really is a parallel and you do a little bit every single day as you tap into it. And the more that you do it, the more that you understand who you are. And I don't think, and this is my opinion, I think it's probably impossible to create change in your life without having mentorship of some capacity. And that can be, you know, therapy, that can be yoga, that can be, you know, having someone to guide you because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And you can, the one thing I think I I wish everyone could understand, especially what I try to teach them when they come into coaching with me is when you sit down with me, you're not getting me. You're getting my decade of experience and quarter of a million dollars invested in this journey, right? And that's the thing that happens when you have a coach or a mentor or a therapist. You're not getting them. You're getting their experience. And it helps you circumnavigate and shortcut the fucking suffering that it really takes to figure it out on your own. Dude, if I could go back in time, I swear to God, the first thing I would do, knowing what I know now, is hire a coach. Period. Period. Because I needed to change behaviors. And even though I was going to therapy, it wasn't really happening, right? Behavior changes weren't really happening. That's why that four years took so long because it was like reframing behavioral patterns. And so when you're going through this, I think people believe that you know you can read a book or listen to a podcast and take action one time and life's going to be different, but it's just not. It's just not. And I teach people When you come into this world, brother, when you step into Think Unbroken, this is the rest of your life game. This shit ain't over just because you read a book or you took a course or you listened to my show. You better buckle up because guess what? Even me, 11, almost 12 years into this journey, I have my motherfucking moments. I do. And then I have to rely on my coach, my therapist, my tools, my team, my community, all the things that have brought me where I am to get back to center. And and I don't want to ever mislead anybody into thinking like this is an easy game because it's not. This is harder than anything I've ever done in my life. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And almost the paradoxical element of it is that in order to make it not necessarily easier, but more manageable, you have to somewhat dive deeper into it so it's like once you're in as i gave the analogy the other day it's just it's the plato's cave situation it's like you've seen what's outside the cave now you can't go back in and see this alternative reality because it's no longer reality so it's the pain of staying there or the pain of being stuck in the middle and the only way you can go and proceed is to actually go and face the thing that seems the most difficult and that's actually actually going to lead you to the best possible results and on that note like you said that healing process said 10 years in 15 years in it's a process that's lifelong you know in a way so how do we maintain our resilience i know that stubbornness kind of kept you going kept you going and kept you pushing forward but how do you develop the resilience to keep you going aside from maybe having a mentor in your corner or a therapist in your corner yeah well you you have to hold yourself accountable man like i remember the first time that i saw the matrix and i was like 13 years old i was like oh fuck i live in the matrix that's the only way any of this makes sense. And when you understand that, and I don't know that we literally do, we could, you'd be in the matrix. How would you know? Uh, but, you know but, but I always thought to myself, man, what, what was the thing that, that Neo kept doing? Dude, he just kept going, but he had somebody who believed in him. He had Morpheus, he had Trinity, he had everybody else around him. And I, dude, I swear to you, I think that's the most important part. I really do. Just having community, having people around you who support you. You know, my when when I do something good, my friends hit me up. When I do something bad, my friends hit me up. And it's like there's a support there that's not about judgment or shame or even about accolades, but it's just about someone being present with you. People think so often they're alone in this, particularly men. We think we're alone in this and that nobody gets it. Nobody understands. Motherfucker, there's 8 billion people on planet Earth. I promise you, you are not the only one with the problems. And you have to be willing to go and find the support. Because in that support, what's going to happen is you'll build resiliency by having people to lean against. To say, you know what, man, I'm having a real bad day. I I thought about doing something dark, you know, or, or whatever it is, right? And you go, okay, cool. Well, can we be here for each other? 
Can we sit with each other and not try to fix, but instead just exist? And, and that's kind of the really important thing. Now, there is the resiliency of self, right? There's the forcing yourself up, getting out of the house, doing the things that you need to do. And that accountability for me has always kind of been inherent. And that's particularly probably because I'm a super introverted person. Like, believe it or not, people don't believe me because they're like, well, you're on podcasts all the time and you speak on these big stages, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nope, I'm introvert. I love being alone. But I'm I'm able to, through my own self-talk, belief, and visualization, and this is a real word that I'm about to use here, force, force myself to do what I need to do. Do not negotiate with myself. If you want to build resiliency in your life, you have got to stop negotiating with yourself because your life doesn't care about your excuses. It just doesn't. It doesn't. All the things that you want, you can have them. You can have health and wealth and abundance and stability and love and connection and companionship, and you can heal and you can live life on your terms and you can be the hero of your own story. But guess what, motherfucker? There ain't no Disney moment and nobody's coming to save you. And it's not that people don't care about you. It's not that people don't love you. It's not that people don't want to support you. They got their own shit going on, man. And you've got to be willing to pick yourself up. And that's a really hard conversation to have, especially in the society we live in right now, because people are always like self-care, self-care, self-care. I'm like, yes, self-care and pick yourself up and go and do the thing and stop making excuses. If you're like, I need a self-care today and you play fucking video games all day. Now that could be self-care. Let me be very clear about that. Or you could be avoiding the thing that you know you need to do. That's why it's so important to know thyself. Because people will, people, somebody's going to email me not hearing what I just said. And they're like, you're beating up self-care. You shouldn't talk about mental health. No, what I'm saying is know thyself. Know the truth about who you are. Because if you're fucking making excuses all day long, you're going to die with regret. Like you need to understand that. Like the number one regret of the dying is that they did not live their life. It's the number one regret. You, you can have that too. You're welcome to it. It's right here waiting for you. But so is everything else that you want. And it takes as much effort and energy to destroy your life as it does to build your life. Trust me, I promise you it does because I've already done it multiple times. And the truth about it is, you know, neither side's easy. You know what's easy? What's easy is lying in bed, eating chocolate cake, smoking joints, watching porn, and watching everything around you crumble. It's super easy. Anybody can do that. But the shift only comes when you get the fuck out of your own way. And the, the, the little hidden nugget in that that I want people to hold on to is that's self-care. I couldn't agree more. And I feel that a lot of people have gotten self-care confused with self-soothing. That's my hypothesis. And it's interesting when you will see the scope of work that I'm in is health and fitness. And a lot of people say, I just needed a day to break my nutrition plan. I just needed to eat X, Y, and Z. And I just give them a rational question. I said, if right now I took away all of these challenges and stresses in your life, would the training and nutrition still be hard? And the answer to the question is immediately, no, it wouldn't be. So I was like, well, is the training and the nutrition the problem? Or is the fact that you've got these things going on in your life that you're not handling the problem? And then you just need to explain it in those simple terms. And then ultimately the practice of self-care is going to have that difficult conversation. It's getting yourself out of the house and doing the things that you know you need to do. Otherwise, you are just prolonging the pain. You know, it, like you said, it's easy to watch your life crumble and to make these bad decisions. It's easy in the moment, but it's hard long-term because you never get out of the place that you ultimately don't want to be, but you just keep distracting yourself and distracting yourself until you can no longer hear that voice. But, you know, objectively at some point it's going to, so going to come and get you. And that is actually one of the big fears that I have for people. I am going to say this with a pinch of salt, but I think you'll probably agree with me. It's almost like rock bottom is a bit of a blessing because there's really no way further down. Right. And it's also a very stable place to stand up from. But my concern is for of course, people who hit rock bottom, but those people who are in that little area between rock bottom and just sitting in mediocrity, but haven't quite had that instance where they're thinking, okay, well, life's really terrible at this point, but they're kind of like in the zone where they don't want to be in. It's kind of this gray area of mediocrity. They're just keeping going because it's not awful, but it's also not 
great. It's just below average. So do you have any advice for those people who are stuck in that? Because like, you know, it's very easy to say, I'm at rock bottom. I need to get out here. There's only one way up. Whereas when you're still here, there's still that little bit to go. And it's like, well, it could be rock bottom. So I'm wondering, do you have any advice for people who are stuck in that area? Because I feel like that's a large portion of people. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing question. My friend Lisa Bilyeu just wrote a book called Radical Confidence. And I was reading it the other day because I want to support my friend and I like to learn. And and she had a terminology in there that ex- explains to a T what you just said. It's called the purgatory of the mundane. And that's a that's a dangerous place to be, bro, because you ain't living and you ain't dying. You're just trapped. You're trapped. And I think the only way that you get out of that place, because that's where I was, like prior to rock bottom, I believe that you are in the purgatory of the mundane. Right. And so if I go look at my life from 21 to 25 and a half, that was purgatory of the mundane. I'd wake up every day. I'd put on fucking khakis, which I hate. I'd go and sit at a desk after eating McDonald's, literally routine every day, wake up, smoke a cigarette, get stoned, get in my car, drive to work, get McDonald's, who is probably going to see me one day. They're fucking poison. Fuck you, McDonald's. And I would be there and All day long, you'd hear water cooler talk, people share their bullshit stories, and for eight hours a day, I would do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then I would get my little two-week paycheck, I'd go home, I'd get high again, I'd probably get drunk because I lived above a bar and I had a $2,000 a month bar tab, and then I'd go to bed. And I would do it all over again. Now, on the fun occasions, it would be fucking strip clubs and it would be bachelor parties and it would be like party buses. There's a video I pulled up of myself that I'm using in in this new training that I'm building where I was at my heaviest and we're at some fucking house party or something. I'm shotgunning beers, just mad, just like bam, 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 right? 24 years old. That's the purgatory of the mundane. Your life isn't getting better, but it's not getting worse, but it's also not doing anything of substance. And I I think that if that's where you are, the greatest thing that you can do, Jordan Peterson said this, and this is the same thing that actually changed my life. He said, go sit on the edge of your bed in silence for 15 minutes. And whatever that thing that shows up is the thing that you need to deal with, and you're not going to like it. But if you want your life to be different, that's what you need to handle. And I think if you're in that place where life is just kind of blah, you're not excited, well, like rock bottom is probably inevitable. Like that's the gateway. Like it truly is because you're not doing anything to make your life better. But let's go into something tangible here. What I think people could execute on immediately. Go and volunteer. Go and volunteer. Go to a nursing home. Go to a children's hospital where kids are dying. Go to a homeless shelter. Go to the fucking dog shelter. I don't give a shit. Go and be of service. Stop being so fucking selfish all the time and see how different your life can be. Because people will complain all that my life's so boring. It's not interesting. Well, what are you going to do about it? There are people who probably need you and you're being super selfish by not giving them what you have. And ultimately, you have a choice to make. You can sit in that world. And I promise you, since I've been there, it's not that great. There's nothing more boring to me on planet Earth today than going and shotgunning beers. There's a 0% chance that's happening, right? But I, I feel so empowered and so full of life and so much pleasure and joy and fulfillment by going and serving other people. And I think that if you're trapped in that place, the inevitability of rock bottom is only a decision away. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it is, like you said, that gateway. And I heard that Jordan Peterson advice as well. And he followed it up in another interview with an insecurity or a shortcoming that you believe to have is a great road to travel time as well. So as soon as you identify what that is, it's a, it's almost a blessing to see it because then you know, okay, well, these are the action steps that need to be taken. If you're feeling you know, miserable about your direction around your career, well, you know, at least you know you know where to start and you start like you did at the very beginning of this interview reverse engineering where do you want to be and then we start working backwards from there and i think that's a yeah it's a great takeaway and on that note it doesn't sound like you had too many great role models growing up but you seem to be someone who's in a very good position now especially within your masculinity you've spoken about things of like understanding your feelings being compassionate with yourself but also showing and displaying the attributes of masculinity which i think are fairly traditional and i think should personally stand the test of time. How have you found yourself as a man in this world? And what does being a man mean to you? Yeah, I, I love that question. You know, when when I was growing up, you have to look at the male influences in my life. A dad that was absent, 
who I never met, a stepdad who beat the shit out of me all the time. And so I looked at men in fear and terror, right? And I was so disconnected from them that when I actually moved in with my first roommates, when I was like 18, they were a couple of guys, but they had already graduated college. Like I was a baby compared to these dudes. And I wanted so desperately to be like them. But what did these guys do? And I love them. So let me be clear. I'm not shitting on these guys. Like I, I get it, but the, they partied a lot. I mean, they worked hard, but they partied a lot. And so what did I do? I worked hard and I partied a lot. I wanted to be like them. And so we model, we model who we want to be. And so I was modeling them, but I was also modeling the male influences that I had growing up, like Jay-Z. And I love Jay-Z to this day. I quote him all the time, but I was modeling the wrong aspects of who he was. I was modeling the cars and the women and the drugs and the money. And I had the cars and the women and the drugs and the money. And what happened is when I, when I really got deeper into this journey, I recognized a couple of things. One, before I left Indiana, when I was 29, heading into 30, I sat down with my, my four best friends, these guys, and I told them effectively the story that I told you at the beginning of this interview with much more depth and context. I had never shared. I knew these guys for over a decade. I never shared one word of that with them. Think about that. And in the middle of doing so, one of the guys who I thought was my best friend, like my brother pulls out his fucking cell phone to check the score of the game. Think about that. And I realized in that moment, something really important that some people, and not just men, but some people do not have the emotional capacity to connect with you on a human level until they do. And my hope is I haven't talked to the student forever, but my hope is that things have changed for him. They certainly have for me. And so as I, I was in this and I was looking at my life, I, I recognized, be, not because of that experience alone, but all those different things, that one of the things I needed to do was actually address my relationship with men. And so it wouldn't be about high fives and the number of partners we had and our bank accounts and shit that doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. And instead, I wanted to have real deep, intimate, emotional connections. And so I joined, I actually literally, a podcast I recorded today was literally about that. I joined a men's group therapy program for two reasons. One, I knew it'd be incredibly fucking uncomfortable, which it was, I assure you. And two, it would give me a foundation for understanding how to connect with men at a human level going forward. And you know, what's really interesting is now more than ever, you use the word masculinity and that's a such a dangerous word in 2022 because the toxic is always around it, right? Toxic masculine. What the fuck does that even mean? And it's like a lot of things that are just thrown around because I would sit in this room of these men who were hurting, who were suffering, who were trying to change their life. And I was one of them, obviously. And we just let each other exist and talk about the fucked up things that we did and try to make meaning of them and create massive change and do what we needed to do. And a lot of it was kind of combative in a way, because when you're in that kind of emotional environment, like real truth gets dropped on you. And I remember one day, and this changed my life forever, one of the guys goes, you don't know how to be angry. And I was like, fuck you. I know how to be angry. No, no. He goes, no, 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 no. You know how to use anger to destroy things, but you don't know how to feel the emotion of anger. And I was like, oh shit, he's right. And that night what happened is it was like, the floodgates had been open. After this therapy, we always did men's group therapy on Wednesday nights. And for years I did it. And after this one session, I, I go home and I grab my journal and I just start writing for, dude, hours. I was exhausted by the end of the night. I was just crying on these pages, writing, getting out all the darkness, all the anger, all the hurt, all the everything. But people would look at that conversation and go, those guys are toxic. I'm like, no. Those are guys trying to create some change in the world by having real deep, hard conversations. And look, if you're going to have toxic masculinity, then you got to have toxic femininity too, right? But I've never literally heard that word one time in my life. So I think we just have to be careful with the words that we're using. And people are so dogmatic, right, about their ideations of the world that they'll hold on to these things so tightly and not create space for discourse. And that to me is the ultimate fixed mindset, right? And so as I've stepped deeper into who I, me, choose to be as a man, 
it's been this connection with these other incredible men who have led me down this path. You, you can't see it, but I have this wall of photos over here. And it's these incredible people who inspire me. It's me and Tom, and these are all in real life, right? It's me and Tom Bilyeu, me and Anthony Trucks, me and Gary Vaynerchuk, me and Grant Cardone, me and D-Rock, me and um, Paul Gilmartin, me and Tim Story, me and John Lee Dumas. Why? Because I need those men in my life, dude. I need those dudes. I need them. I need them to help me. I need to watch them and study them and model them because they're men of character, men of value, men of meaning, men who fuck up all the time, right? And the truth is that we we get so raked over the coals because of the mistakes we make these days. People are like, I'm going to cancel you. I'm like, first off, I'm uncancelable, motherfucker. I refuse it. You cannot cancel me. I spent 26 fucking years being canceled. You ain't canceling me. I'm going to speak my truth. And if my truth fucking rubs people the wrong way, well, then maybe it's actually something you need to think about. I'll I'll never forget. I was in a, a coaching session with Tom and he fucking called me out and he was like, dude, blah, blah, blah. I won't get into it because it's a very long conversation. But without that, without that moment, and I want to say that was about four years ago, three and a half, four years ago, somewhere in that window, it changed my life forever, man. But he had the willingness to call me out. And there's nothing toxic about that. And these guys make mistakes. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. Everybody listening to this show right now makes mistakes. And I think if we can just stop fucking beating each other up and holding each other to this esteem of perfection, Like, we're not axe murderers. Well, I'm not. I hopefully most of these people listening aren't. And it's it's like, you're not fucking perfect. It's fine. It's fine. And so when you look at the people in the world who are not perfect and you want to call light to that because it makes you virtue signal and feel like you're better, you need to go stare in front of that fucking mirror for a minute. Because what you're actually doing is you're actually calling attention to the fact that you are terrified to be who you are. And that's a hard truth for people to hear because, dude, we're having a human experience, man. None of us know what the fuck we're doing. And so to cancel people for their mistakes, like one of my great friends got canceled recently for something that they said. And I sat there and I looked at what she had written and I thought to myself, yeah, but she's learning. She doesn't know everything. Who gives a fuck if she has 3 million followers on Instagram? She's going to make mistakes and we have to rake her over the coal. She was like on the national news. Of, I was like, what the fuck is happening right now, man? This is nonsense. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm going to diatribe. I'm going to keep going if I don't stop. But the the point is like, you know, to answer your question and, and to just rewind, you know, be very cautious about the people that you're investing your time into. Make sure you're on the same page as them. Because those guys, when I was young, though I love them dearly and they served a great purpose in my life, those are not the same guys who are going to get me to where I want to go. And so the mentors, the, the words you put in your head, the media you consume, the food that you eat, everything matters in this journey. So just bring some meaning to it. Pay attention to it. Sit on the edge of the bed and get uncomfortable with it. So it looks like you did a great job at resolving your relationship with men. What about the woman in your life? I can imagine, you know, the mother is supposed to be the most supportive woman in your life. And clearly there was an, I think dysfunctional is an understatement. So how have you done in terms of resolving your relationship with women? I'm not sure if you're in a relationship. You also mentioned earlier that commitment was a thing that you struggled with in the past as well. So how did you navigate in your relationships with women at this moment in time? That's an amazing question, man. You know, when when I was young, the women in my life were, even though they were nurturing to an extent and supportive, it was violent. It was like hurtful. It was there was a lot of pain. Like I'll, I'll never forget, like growing up biracial, like is a very difficult task all on its own right. But to have a racist grandmother does not help. And you know, it, it was like this torture constantly. And and my thought of masculinity, especially back then, and what it was to be a man was, all right, I'm a teenager and I'm in my twenties, whatever. I'm just gonna have sex with as many people as humanly possible. And that just it, it's empty. It hurts. It's like a a great form of suffering. There's an immense sense of loneliness in it. And so when I went on the this journey, I said to myself, I'm going to just be alone. 
I'm going to suffer through the discomfort of that, right? And it truly was at times suffering because I'm like, I'm by myself. And I was done breaking people's hearts. I was done having my heart broken. I was done being in the wrong relationships. I was done having collisions of values. And I just stayed single. And I mean, I would go on dates here and there, but for five and a half years, I was single. And then I had a relationship for a while. We got to the point where it just we realized it didn't work and it wasn't working. And we we had kind of reverted to some old behavior patterns between the two of us and we went our separate ways. And it's hard, right? Because like there's growth and there's healing, but there's still so much to learn. And I, I think the people you're with, especially in an intimate capacity, they're going to help you figure out who you are. And, you know, a lot of people beat up their partners and I'm not, not literally, well, yes, literally, unfortunately, but like in this context, they'll beat them up about their misgivings and who they are and the mistakes that they make. Then I think, again, grace has to be deployed here. And one of the greatest things that I've learned that that is in my healing that I can have as a measurable and practical understanding of self is that I don't try to change people anymore, man. I used to try to change my girlfriends all the time. I'd be like, you need to dress this way. You need to talk this way. You need to act this way. Because it was control. It was like this crazy thing that happened to me too. And I learned that and understood that. And now it's very much like a few things come to mind immediately. I am single. I'm not seeing anyone. And the reason why is because I'm still in this place where I'm getting massive clarity about what's next in life. And I think that's super important. Though I did do an exercise where I wrote down the exact person that I want. And so when that person comes, then you know, hopefully that will happen. But no dating apps, no hookups. Having sex is something that rarely, if ever, happens in my life right now because I said to myself, I, I want to protect my energy. I want to protect who I am. But more importantly, I want real connection. And, and that's a that's a juxtaposition compared to, you know, 22, 24, 26 years old. And there's a lot of discomfort in it, man. A lot of lonely nights, a lot of me falling asleep with a book in my hand and waking up and just thinking like, oh, I'm by myself in this room, but also realizing like there is a resiliency in that. Because, you know, it's like in Jerry Maguire, he's like, you complete me. And I'm like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. People should never complete you. What they should do is they should be an addition to. And so until I have a person in my life from like they are an addition to, then I will stay exactly how I am. And we could have a very long conversation about dating and trauma and those things, which I'd be more than happy to have. But, you know, it's it's there's a lot of ownership that transpires in being alone. There's a lot of time to to figure out who you are and what you don't want, which is really important. And to learn your values and to honor them and to not settle. And to, what happens, I think, too, and, and this would be really interesting for people who haven't had this experience yet, who maybe had trauma, who are now single, who are in this path. One of the greatest things that will happen is you will realize that it's okay to be alone. Yeah, that was exactly the thing I was going to follow up with then is how do you not settle? Because I've had this back and forth with my life recently. I've just recently gotten into a relationship and it's been everything I could ever wish for. And before I no disrespect to any of my past partners, but I'm like, eh, I really was settling for far less than I truly wanted, uh, if uh, regardless of whether I thought I deserved it or not. So how do we get to a place where we get so comfortable with ourselves that we're not willing to settle for the same, the first person who comes along, the first person who shows us love? I going to assume the answer is healing, but I'm sure there's a little bit more depth to that as well. Well, yeah, I think healing is always just going to be a part of it. But I, I think it comes back again to that idea about know thyself. Like if you truly know who you are and your value in your world, then you'll never settle. Right. And and I think that only comes from like not settling in the other aspects of your life. Because think about this. People always say that about relationships, but they never say it about self. Right. And so you have to not negotiate with yourself first with your body, with your mind, with your spirit, with your energy, with your everything. Because until you're willing to do that, then you will always settle for other people because that will be what you are seeking to feel whole. And that was my experience, right? So just don't settle with yourself first and the rest will work itself out. Yeah, that's a pretty black and white answer on that front, right? It's like, if you aren't willing to have those standards and boundaries for yourself, then whenever someone else comes in, like how are you expected to hold 
up those boundaries if you haven't even keep, kept them for yourself first. So no, that's a really, really valuable answer. And I do want to just tap into a question I'm very curious about is, have you resolved your relationship with your mother or your stepdad? Do you have an existing relationship with them now? So my mother's dead. Um, she died of an overdose legless in a hospital in the middle of nowhere. I made a decision when I was 18 years old. I sat down with her after a night where she uh, she actually literally attacked me. And the next day she was sober and I had come home and I told her, I'm never going to talk to you again. And until the day she died, that held true. And one of the really like the hardest things I've ever had to do was make that decision. And I don't necessarily encourage people to do that. But at some point, you know the truth of the reality of the life that you're in. And one of the greatest things that happened for me in doing that, like I'll tell you right now, dude, there's a 0% chance I would be here with you had I not made that decision. 0%. And in that process and over the course of the years, I've learned to just let go, to acknowledge that she was hurt she had not done the work and that she was just reliving her trauma every single day, trapped in the vortex. And so I decided very simply one day, I said, I'm letting go of this. And I did. And per my stepfather, I haven't seen that dude in 15 years. I have no want nor need to. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing that you made those decisions and stay true to them as well. And I'm, I'm curious to get your answer on this one. You've mentioned joy. You've mentioned pleasure. You've mentioned fulfillment. But are you truly happy as well, Michael? Yeah, dude, I love my life. Like fucking for real. Every single day I wake up, I'm like, I cannot wait to go and tackle this shit. And look, that only came from the willingness to figure out what I wanted, right? Uh, I got a giant whiteboard over here that has all of my life. I've got, you know, my vision board with all the things I want to build and create. And it's not about the possessions, but it's about the energy. Because when I when I changed who I am based on moving through life with action as opposed to goals, everything got different. And so every single day, I love my life, man. And it's hard work, but I love the hard work and I enjoy what I get to do. And, you know, to to get messages and text and emails from people every day about the impact that Think Unbroken has in their life is just a consummate reinforcement that I'm doing the right thing. And it's hard. It's fucking hard, man. It's real hard, but I, I love it and I enjoy it. And there's, there's something fulfilling about it. And, you know, people are always like, well, what do you do to take care of yourself? I'm like, I do what I want when I want to do it. Like, that's the best part about my life, man. It's like this morning I woke up, I hit the gym, hit the sauna. I read for a little bit. I sat down, had coffee in the sun. I read a book. I was just chilling. And then I was like, oh, I got to go and like do my thing. And then tonight I'm going to go do Muay Thai. I'm going to go practice martial arts. It brings me joy, right? And then in a couple of days, I'm going to get on a plane and go and speak. It's amazing. I fucking love it, dude. Because I don't live in the purgatory of the mundane. I'm, I got to talk to Lisa about this because it's so stuck in my head now. You know, I, I, you know, it's like I, I create what I want in my life and I move towards it till I get it. And I think that if you do that in your life, you'll be happy too. But look, happy's fleeting, dude. I'm happy today in this moment. That doesn't mean I will be in an hour. Or in five days from now, because fucking life happens, dude. I still have to work through depression and anxiety and grief and sadness and loss and hurt and heartbreak and all the things that come along. If I just sat here and was like, I'm happy all the fucking time, that'd be a lie. There's no truth in that. And, and I'd stay away from people who are happy all the time. That's super scary to me. You're lying to yourself, right? Because life is hard. But in between the heart is the happy and in between the happy is the heart. And it's like this back and forth. And so, you know, people will go to happy and they'll be like, are you happy? But like, does it even matter? Like really though, as long as you're okay with the reflection in the mirror. And that's what I just try to move towards every single day. Beautiful answer. And it's funny that we all have a very good understanding that every single emotion or feeling will pass, you know, whether it's anger, whether it's excitement, whether it's uh, stress, but we always seem to be stuck on why we're not happy all the time. It's like, well, it's just like any other emotional feeling, right? It's like you said, it's fleeting. And I think fundamentally, if you're living in alignment with values, that's a lot stronger of a foundation to live off, right? It's about looking at the fulfillment side of things. So you're doing things that bring you joy. Um, but like you said, constantly striving to be yeah, happy on a day-to-day basis is like constantly striving to be excited every single hour of the day. It's just not sustainable, yeah, it's right? Just not, it's just not possible. No, exactly. And Michael, this has been an incredible, incredible conversation. And I definitely want to bring you on for round two in the future because I've had far more topics to speak with you about whatever you respect for your time. So for anyone who wants to stay up to date with the work that you're doing and the amazing content you're putting out on all the social platforms that you're on, where can they follow you and read your content? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere on social at Michael Unbroken, um, but they can actually read my first book for free as a, as a download. If you go to book.thinkunbroken.com, uh, I, everything I create is free, literally all of it. The podcast, the show, so ungodly numbers of hours of YouTube videos, the books, everything. It's all free because I don't, I only care about ending generational trauma in my lifetime. If you want to buy the book, you can buy the book. I literally don't give a shit. My goal is to help people. So if you just go to book.thinkunbroken.com, you can read that first one. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, brother. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.